Good evening, I'm Lester Holt, and welcome to night two of the first Democratic debate in the 2020 race for president. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not praise racist. Strom Thurmond was also a brave man who, in the end, made his choice and moved to the good side. I disagree deeply with Strom on the issue of civil rights and on many other issues, but I watched him change. We became good friends. I'm not sure exactly why or how it happened, Nancy, but you know we did. The truth and genius and virtue of Strom Thurmond is what I choose and we all choose to remember today. So let's talk about the debate, the debates oh, first. Okay. Let's do that. Then let's talk about the ICE funding stuff. Sounds good. Uh, and then we can talk about the David Frenchism stuff. Awesome. So, let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, uh, welcome to The News Never Ends. I'm Peter. I'm Dan. Um, no last names this week. <laughs> we don't have to do last names every time. I don't know why we uh, yeah. we do that every time. We don't time. even have to do names. Like, Weirdly we formal. We introduce other people. Yeah. People know who we are if they look at the description. Right? We could do like, uh, well, I, it's probably good for people to like, you know, get which voice is who. Hmm. I guess. I don't really want who any knows? new listeners. Just yeah. the like <laughs> 10 regulars we yeah. have is good for me. Yeah. <laughs> So, did you watch both debate nights? I watched all of the second debate, as you well know. Yeah. Uh, and I watched most of the first debate, but I was in and out. Yeah, we watched the second debate together with a few other people. Yeah. Um, because we wanted to watch Bernie Sanders have a Sanders viewing party. <laughs> I ended up watching the one on Wednesday in full, too. Oh, that's awesome. Afterward. Um, what do you mean? Or you, no, on Wednesday you watched it. On, I was watching it, yeah, a streaming, like basically right. live. We were texting about it. I yeah, that's stupid right. stream. <laughs> so everyone was making fun of uh, like Cory Booker for speaking Spanish, and I was like, "What do you mean, uh, Beto spoke Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> you mean Beto, right?" Uh, <laughs> what a fool you yeah, are! Yeah, I know. Yeah, they were stupid, right? They I were mean, so bad. Debates are always stupid, I guess. Yeah. Um, the second one was fun. It really felt like... It was you, a lot better. Yeah, the first one was the kids' table. Yeah. Like, the party tried to uh, make it so that there was no kids' table, but there definitely was. It was the first night. Right. Um, and do you think they uh, they rigged it so that Elizabeth Warren would become the clear uh, next front runner? It's hard to say. Um, I'm totally open to the idea that the Democrats rigged it. Like, why wouldn't they, first of all? Mm-hmm. Um and, like, they don't love Elizabeth Warren either. They only are interested in her uh, to be a wedge candidate to draw away from Bernie Sanders or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, they'll... I think for most people in the in the leadership of the Democratic Party, Elizabeth Warren would be kind of like the Ted Cruz of the 2016 Republican primary. Totally. Which is, like, the last acceptable candidate that they would go for. Yeah. Whereas Bernie Sanders is an unacceptable candidate for yeah. them. Because he would actually fight for Medicare for all. Yeah. Liz uh, Warren yeah. is their final offer to yeah. the left of the party. Exactly. And I think they feel pretty confidently that she's not serious about Medicare for all. Yeah. She came out for Medicare for all for the first time during the debate yep. so that was interesting um, shortly after that Howard Dean uh, <laughs> throwback Howard Dean uh, but who is in the leadership of the Democratic Party now uh, gave an interview where he said that 
no candidate besides Bernie Sanders would actually pass Medicare for all. Yeah. And he right. said it as an attack on Bernie Sanders. That's so funny. Uh, but yes. Is he anti-Medicare for all? Yeah, he's super anti-Medicare for all. Wow. And he's like on the board of like of different health insurance companies in addition to having like a leadership role in the Democratic Party. Yeah. Yeah, it's so corrupt. Who was the guy? Birch by? Is that, you know who I mean? No, I don't have any idea. Evan Bai's son, Birch Bai. <laughs> Is that the guy's name? It sounds like, yeah, Birch Box. It sounds like a thing. Uh, no, Evan Bai is Birch Bai's son. I see. Evan Bai, yeah, he was like, I don't know. He was a senator from uh, Indiana okay. in like, f- you know, from 1999 to 2011. He was on the shortlist to be Obama's vice president. Okay. So now he's out of office and he's in the Democratic leadership and also right on the board of health insurance companies. Yeah. Uh, and this was a few years ago after the 2016 election there was a leak of him speaking to like a bunch of healthcare executives mm-hmm. where he was like the Democratic Party will never support Medicare for all that's so funny uh, so yeah yes there there is a huge I mean the leadership of the Democratic Party is extremely opposed to Medicare for all yeah and that's in, that informs a lot of their decisions and Elizabeth Warren came out for Medicare for all Kamala Harris in the second night raised her hand uh, when asked if you would support abolishing private insurance, and then her campaign had to walk it back. Afterwards. Is that right again? Again, the second time she has said publicly that she supports basically Medicare for all, abolishing the private health insurance, something like that. And then her campaign came out and had to. I know maybe it's her strategy. That's so. To, like weird. whenever she's asked about it, just say she supports Medicare for all, uh, and then let her campaign walk it back. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, because two times is not a mistake anymore. Well, what she said this time is that she didn't understand the question, and they she thought that they were asking about her own private health care if she would be willing to get rid of it to do Medicare for all, which is a joke. Like, th- right. like nobody would have construed that from the question. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's outrageous. Yeah, it is outrageous. Uh, And uh, especially because of the narrative coming out of the second night was that she maybe won or that she had a very successful, she had a very uh, successful like adversarial exchange with Biden about busing. Totally. And I will say also that that in this campaign, we've also heard, and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful, to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. As Attorney General of California, I was very proud to put in place a a requirement that all my special agents would wear body cameras and keep those cameras on. Senator Harris, thank you. you. Vice President Biden, you have been invoked. We are going to give you a chance to respond. Vice President Biden. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not praise racists. 
That is not true, number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender when in fact, when in fact, when in fact my city was in flames because of the, the uh, assassination of Dr. King, number one. Now, number two, as the U.S., as, excuse me, as the uh, uh, Vice President of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it we dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never, you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But they, Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then. No, Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, I there did was not a oppose. failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the, the second class to integrate Berkeley, the, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local decision. So that's where the federal government must step the, in. The that's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA, because that's there right. are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of I all people. I supported the okay, ERA from the very beginning when Vice I ran President Biden, 30 seconds, because I want to bring you know, other people into this. I supported the ERA from the very beginning. I'm the guy that extended the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. We got to the place where we got 98 out of 98 votes in the United States Senate doing it. I've also argued very strongly that we, in fact, deal with the notion of denying people access to the ballot box. I agree that everybody, once they, in fact, they should, anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry. Uh, which really was a good moment. That was, the, I mean, that yeah. stole the show. That was the best moment of the, that, that and uh, Bernie Sanders' closing statement. Uh, uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, I saw the Eowyn Higgins tweet like an hour after the debate that was like, <laughs> Kamala Harris might have won the week's soundbite, but people will be remembering Bernie Sanders' closing statement for generations. And I was like, I already forgot what the closing statement was. Yeah, I mean, it really was very good, and it, it really laid out the difference between him and, you know, candidates who are now um, walking the, the Bernie Sanders line. Because that was another takeaway from the two debates. Right. That so everyone many candidates... Yeah, candidate. right, exactly. That everyone... Yeah, that really Sanders had won... Had already won on, on the issues. And now they're all voicing support for his positions. They're just not serious about doing it. Of course. And that was his point in his closing statement. Right. That unless you're really serious about confronting these systems of power, the health insurance industry, the military-industrial complex, yes. yeah. things like that... Uh, unless you're really willing to confront them, you can say you support whatever position or have whatever plan, but it's just not going to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I suspect people all over the country who are watching this debate are saying, these are good people, they have great ideas. But how come nothing really changes? How come for the last 45 years wages have been stagnant for the middle class? How come we have the highest rate of childhood poverty? How come 45 million people still have student debt? How come free people own more wealth than the bottom half of America? And here is the answer. 
Nothing will change unless we have the guts to take on Wall Street, the insurance industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the military industrial complex, and the fossil fuel industry. If we don't have the guts to take them on, we'll continue to have plans, we'll continue to have talk, and the rich will get richer, and everybody else will be struggling. Thank you, Senator. I thought you had the best take on the Chuck Todd going around and asking <laughs> each person, you know, what would you do day one? What is that first issue for your presidency? Eric Swalwell, you're first. For Parkland, for Orlando, for every community affected by gun violence, ending gun violence. Senator Bennett. Climate change and the lack of economic mobility Bernie talks about. Senator Gillibrand. Passing a family bill of rights that includes a national paid leave plan, universal pre-K, affordable daycare, and making sure that women and Thank families you. can thrive in the workplace no matter right. who they are. I was coming up. So passing a middle class and working families tax cut, uh, DACA, guns. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you credit for the first thing you said, the tax cut. I got you. Senator Sanders, first thing, the premise that there's only one or two issues out there. This I'm country faces two. enormous crises. Senator we Sanders. need a political revolution. People have got to stand okay. up and take on the special interests. We can transform this country. By, uh, Vice President Biden, your first issue, Mr. Vice President. I think you're so underestimating what Barack Obama did. He's the first man to bring together the entire world, 196 nations, to commit to deal with climate change. Immediately. So I, I don't buy that. But the first, the first thing I would do is make sure that we defeat Donald Trump. Okay. Period. And you were like, I just wish some, or I don't remember how you phrased it. Yeah. But you were basically like, I just wish one person would say, uh, Donald Trump would not survive my first week in office. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah, we will hunt him down. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think what I was saying about that was in response to like so many people, Joe Biden said it, uh, I believe Bill de Blasio said it the first night, or he said a version of it. We can talk about Bill de Blasio yes. too in a little more oh, detail. Oh, we got it. But, um, <laughs> So many people basically saying that Trump is an existential threat. I think that was what Joe Biden said, mm -hmm. is like, I will defeat Donald Trump. And basically, it's a way to not make any promises. Of course. And to, to, not pro yeah, to not say that you'll do anything for anybody. Because just by virtue of being elected, you will have ended Donald Trump. So, right. I mean, then there's the other side of it. Which was kind of the Obama argument. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was like, if right. you elect me, that will be the victory. Right, exactly. And then you had Nancy Pelosi saying a few weeks ago as a justification for not pursuing impeachment, like, I don't want to impeach Trump. I want to jail Trump. <laughs> Do you remember she said that? No, she said jail. No, she didn't say jail, but she made, she, what she was saying is that, like, yeah, he belongs in prison and we need mm. to, like, try him. And she was also saying just something completely dishonest, which right. is that if you... Do an impeachment proceeding and it fails, you then cannot criminally prosecute the person. Right. Which yeah. is just not true. There's no basis for it. She was totally making it up <laughs> to justify her not pursuing impeachment. Right. Uh, but yeah, she was like, impeachment's too good for him. We're going to lock him up. And it's like, no, you're not. No, this you're has not. never happened. No. You're. We have had blatantly criminal presidents. None of them ever face any consequences when they're out of office. Nobody seriously believes that like Bill de Blasio's attorney general uh, will prosecute Donald Trump. It's yeah. just not going to happen. So yeah, if they're really going to do this right, like let's have someone say like, we will hunt down Donald Trump <laughs> to the end of the world. Uh, we will do three generations of punishment for the Trump family. That is my day one promise. But I thought in that was actually something really insightful. Like, because if Bernie had said we're my first day in office we're gonna start a tribunal that's going to put the authors of the iraq war 
through prosecution. Right. And there are going to be consequences for the just ages of misery that they've inflicted. Which is what Obama failed to do. Right. Uh, and we are living the consequences of that failure with the Trump administration. Exactly. And all of these people who supported the Iraq war who are now back in power. Yeah. And it'll happen again and again. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, unless someone does something like that. And I think that's the thing that Bernie has yet to do. It's I think a, I think it's of a piece with his not going for the jugular on right. Biden. Which, like, you said this. I've heard other people say this. And I think you're right that, like, at this point there's no – point in him as a Bernie as a front runner getting down in the muck like that like right. Kamala Harris is going to murder Biden for him yeah and it's like when Chris Christie went after Marco Rubio right which is like Chris Christie needed a moment he was behind he went after Marco Rubio and he did end up taking down Marco Rubio and yeah. he also like kind of took down himself in the process of course yeah 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 but um, I I think you know Bernie like I think it's very possible he'll win just because all the other Democrats are really bad yeah uh not not just like as people, but as uh, candidates. No, I think Bernie is really well positioned, yeah. and I also think there's a lot of polling data. Take with you know, take it with a grain of salt, but there's a lot of polling data that suggests that people who are currently supporting Joe Biden, for them, Bernie Sanders is their second choice. Mm-hmm. So I think as we see Joe Biden losing support, which has already started to happen, yeah, that is going to help Bernie Sanders more than any other candidate. Yeah, I I honestly think Bernie has the best path to the presidency yeah i agree of of all the candidates um yeah Uh, but um yeah i what i really wish he would do is uh something a little more personal and specific like that i wish he would say you know because saying like yeah we're gonna go after the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry and the military industrial complex it's okay but if he said you know henry kissinger will see the inside of a jail cell yeah it would mean the same thing and more, you know, it would say something very different, and I think it, people would respond to it in a big way. Yes, I know, and the closest we got to that was in the last election, where Bernie Sanders said, like, I'm proud that I'm not friends with Henry Kissinger. Right. Because Hillary Clinton it was is friends with Henry Kissinger and is, like, very publicly friends with Henry Kissinger. Yeah. I know, yeah, that's the uh, that's the closest we're going to get in this country to uh, lining a bump against a wall <laughs> is Bernie Sanders being like, actually, uh, I'm glad that I don't hang out with him. <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah. So I really wish, that, you know, there were a little more blood on Bernie's mouth by the end, but yeah. otherwise I think he did really well and everyone else was pretty terrible. Uh, and Kamala Harris, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if this is ever going to happen if, like, Bernie will just use a kill shot on her that is like she helped cover up pedophile abuse uh, in the Catholic Church in San Francisco. Like, if people really knew what she did with that, she would be over tomorrow. But, or uh, like the Steve Mnuchin stuff. Like, okay. speaking of uh, not holding these people accountable, right. Kamala Harris w- totally had an opportunity to prosecute Steve Mnuchin for really heinous crimes, like evicting people from their houses who were not who were not in default on yeah. their mortgage. I mean, fraud is probably what it would be prosecuted under, but I mean, wholesale theft of yeah. families' houses. Um, yeah. In the financial crisis. Right. Like, it, a real yeah, like breaking and entering. Yeah. Right. Like, but you have, you know, your private security force that's doing exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he belongs in prison. Like all of these people. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, Rick Snyder. Did you see that Rick Snyder is like a fellow, is like getting a fellowship with Harvard? Yes, I did. It's despicable. Yeah. Can you believe that? I mean, yes. I mean, yes, you yeah. can believe it because right. that's what they always do. Yeah. No, yeah. this person who just 
poison countless numbers of poor people right left them to die in putrid water yeah in like in blatant corruption because he was like getting paid off by these companies that would gain from like rerouting the flint water supply yeah um now he's gonna get to hang out with um alan dershowitz Dershowitz. (laughs) (laughs) jokes on you pal because alan dershowitz is at those harvard events (laughs) that really is uh that's the curse of getting anywhere in harvard is you have to deal with all the other people yeah seriously i know yeah like you just can't avoid the fact that uh actually there's no meritocracy these people uh are just being rewarded for doing like the uh like the dirty jobs of the bourgeois class yeah getting really getting their hands in the in the mud to like poison an entire city jesus christ yeah that's why you uh yeah you get a harvard fellowship yeah, okay, de Blasio, should we get into it? He, he had a good night. <laughs> he did very well. He was just enjoying the hell out of he himself. He was having a good time. He was feeling himself. He Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. Uh, he, he was the opposite of Andrew Yang. Oh my god, Who yeah. was like low energy, took the wrong brain pills that morning. Yeah, what was up yeah. with Andrew Yang? He probably like left his alpha brain in the... <laughs> Uh, in California or whatever. <laughs> Someone hit him with a quick yeah. dry cement milkshake on the way over. <laughs> yeah, he like him. mixed up his like uh, CBD tinctures and uh, his like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Uh, yeah, he was terrible. De Blasio, on the other hand, was just killing it, having fun with his friends, mm. you know, calling out one-liners. And I heard people saying this after the fact, that, like, actually, de Blasio has kind of always been very good at, in debates. Yeah. Uh, and New Yorkers are usually pretty good in debates. That's right, yeah. He had the same Chris Christie thing. Yeah. We were talking right. about that. Yeah, Kristen Gillibrand thing. is not in the tri-state area. No. She's a New Yorker, but a Upstate. but an Albany New Yorker. Albany, totally Too different. polite. <laughs> she came out punchy out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, you know, kind of disappeared at the end of the debate yeah um and and she was punchy and she was like it, it, she came out punching like early in the second debate mm-hmm. and um, and i mean hyped twice her role in writing part of bernie's medicare for all bill yeah like really stuck her uh, uh you know staked her reputation on but also yeah would do that like thing where you're like, uh, actually, I just, you know that thing where your mic is off, but you keep talking, so they have to turn on your mic, yeah. and then you get it? Yeah. Uh, and so she did that a few times, and, like, got the mic, and then said nothing interesting. <laughs> right. So blew it. De Blasio did it a few times, and then was like, yes, actually, we need to cut off the heads of the rich. <laughs> Which is fun that he said that. It's also, yeah. I mean, uh, De Bl- that's kind of de Blasio's career, is making him out to, making himself out to be the left-wing candidate, and then not doing anything. Yeah. That I was mean, kind of how he ran in New York, too. I'm just not up enough on on how he's doing in New York. I know that people mostly hate him because the subways suck, which is not really <laughs> his responsibility or yeah. his fault. He also, re- I mean, what really uh, soured me on him, because I remember, like, everyone in yeah. my parents' generation back home saying, like, we hate de Blasio, and I was like, okay, well, what do you know? Yeah. But, I mean, reading Matt Taibbi's book on the police murder of Eric Garner and how de Blasio fucked that up. It happened before he was mayor, right? No, it happened while it he happened was mayor. It happened when he was mayor. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was right after Bloomberg left office and de Blasio came in and this police murder happened on his watch. And I don't know if you remember the uh, basically uh, after the um, uh, the Garner murder and like a lot of that scandal had passed already um, or like was, you know, still in the early stages of it. uh, There was that murder of those two cops in New York. 
um, by that person who just, like, got a gun and, uh, like, got a, a car and started killing people. And uh, the police blamed de Blasio for being too anti-cop and stirring up cop hatred. And so when right. de Blasio spoke at some big cop event, all the cops turned their backs I on I remember him. that, yeah. And that was the era of the cop work stoppage. Uh, when they decided to stop doing all non-essential arrests and fines, right. which just put the lie to the yeah, idea exactly. that they do anything other than take people's money away. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, God, like, cops are such babies. Yeah. <laughs> They're honestly the biggest babies. But, and it, especially in this case, because de Blasio didn't have, like, he had no consequences for any of the cops or the, right. the structure that was at fault. And he, like, lied to the organizers from Eric Garner's family uh, and he just made everyone hate him on all sides, which is just his M.O. Like, he's not... I yeah, he's terrible. He's not evil. He's just, a, like, a horrible human being, you know? Yeah, right. And he was, like, a Clinton guy originally. So, yeah, he's bad and he's not for real. I think he's done some good stuff uh, yeah. in New York. Uh, like, I, to the extent that I know about it, the universal pre-K yeah. stuff seems very cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, I mean, he's a mixed bag, obviously. He's probably better than most of the people on that stage, but... Right, he does not offer really uh, the kind of new direction that we need. But I don't know, he could be uh, Bernie's, you know... HUD director HUD director, or yeah, sure, yeah. why not? And I'm sure, it, yeah, I'm sure it would go awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's see, more tri-state area, uh, uh, more tri-state area politicians, Cory Booker. Cory Booker, yeah. Though, oh, I wanted to say one more thing about mm. de Blasio. He mm. blew it at the end. He uh, and they did the thing where they went around and they were like, "What's the number one threat to America?" Oh yeah, and he, he said, said Russia. Russia because yeah. they like because of the memes. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> because they were like spreading no fat memes on Facebook. <laughs> uh, therefore, we need to go to war with them. What a sick joke. Yeah, um, I mean, it is also just so disgusting that they went around and they were like, "What is the biggest threat to American security?" Yeah, because I mean, the only uh, I think Jay Inslee said Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Which is good. I mean, I'm fine with that. In that context, I think saying Trump is okay. Yeah. Because it's pretty much true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I think the more accurate thing is to say... The uh, military industrial Yeah, right. The military industrial complex. The government is the biggest threat <laughs> to American security. Exactly. Um, but, <laughs> but sure, Trump is a huge threat to American safety. Right. So yes, I think that's... It. And especially because he's... Jay Inslee did pretty well. Yeah. Uh, because he's the climate change guy. Yeah. In yeah, that right. respect, yeah, sure. Trump is a huge threat to our, our security. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, anyone saying China, China that is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I know China yeah. because they're like stealing our patents. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 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 the intellectual property theft China line yeah, right. is so ubiquitous. Yeah, now. or because yeah, like, they're China like China downloaded all of the Lil Nas X album and didn't pay for it. Yeah, so we they're have to like kill them with sanctions. Currency manipulation. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we need to like uh, yeah invade the South China Sea. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, they're yeah. a security threat, I, and this is literally what they mean: is they're a security threat because they have dragged a billion people out of poverty. Yeah, right, exactly, and yes, uh, and because they're yeah, because they're they're a bigger economic force than us, or they're on the path to become a bigger economic force than us. Yeah, yeah, they're not invading countries all around the world. They're not the ones that have destroyed the Middle East. Right. Uh, of course, the American government is the biggest threat to world safety, global safety, and of course also the safety of the American people. Yeah. The, of course the American government is the biggest threat to that. That's right. Uh, and no one said that on stage. The closest was Trump. 
uh, the most ridiculous was to say Russia, uh, which is, yeah, like a, a joke. It's like, yeah, they're maybe they're like the biggest threat to Ukraine, but they're not the biggest threat to the United States in any meaningful way. Yeah. Like it would be like yeah. saying Brazil. I mean. Yeah, right. It's such a joke. I don't know what other fun answers there were. If anyone was like, you know, the, like uh, we're just on our phones too much, like, <laughs> which I mean, yeah, stupid stuff. So it was stupid that de Blasio said that. And yeah. it's stupid that they asked that question. And Gabbard was incredibly disappointing and really right-wing. Yeah, she was bad. Yeah, she just talked about how much of a troop she was. Yep. Did not support Medicare for all. Yep. Yeah, she's been bad. Yep, she's been yeah. bad. Marianne, pretty good. Yeah, she did great. She won the meme battle. Totally. Uh, everyone's off the Yang Gang now. We're all uh, orbs. We're all orbies now. <laughs> We're moving down the chakras. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Started up here with Yang. We're moving a little lower. She was killing it. Yeah. She was going to call up the Prime Minister of New Zealand. (laughs) That's the first thing she was going to do as president, is call the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Just bully the Prime Minister of New Zealand. (laughs) Order uh, 100 pizzas to the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Because also, yeah, why did she want to call her? Just to say, like, you're right about this thing you said in the speech. So stupid. Yeah, because it was the uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand said, like, we want a kid who grows up in New Zealand to have the best opportunity in the world. And Marianne Williams was like, I'm going to call her up and tell her, no, our kids are going to have better opportunity. By the way, I think I keep calling her Marianne Wilkinson. I might have already done that on this podcast. That's okay. I say Marianne Williams. Mar- or Marianne Wilkinson. That's the name of the woman who ran in our ward, right? Is that right? I think so. Uh, you're not, because there's Marianne Lalonde. Was there a different Marianne who ran? Let me see who Marianne Wilkinson is. I think that's who it is. Okay, it's, it's someone totally different. Is a Canadian local politician. I don't know what. I don't know why my brain is broken this way. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, um, it's the producer who's, like, the dad of the guy who made Bright. Like, <laughs> <laughs> John Landis? John Landis. Yeah. Like, like, I feel like all of Have the... you seen that stuff, by the way, about Max Landis? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I read that article. I don't have a take on that. It's, I mean... I know. It, he's I a monster, feel, obviously. Right, yeah. yeah. I kind of feel the way I feel about, uh, like, the way Peter Herman felt when uh, everyone started hating Louis, and he was like, this isn't how I wanted to win, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I always thought you were a shithead if you really liked Max Landis's work or, like, him as a person. Yeah. Uh, right, he, he makes shitty movies. That was someone's funny tweet about it that was, like, um, <laughs> yeah, that was, like, uh, I don't know, something about, like... Normally, uh, it, we have to have this difficult conversation about separating the art from the artist, oh, yeah. but like, fortunately, we don't have to do that in this case. So, any other debate stuff? Should we talk about Cory Booker? He didn't do anything that interesting. We could talk about the busing stuff in a little more detail. Yeah, I think that's worth saying. Um, I mean, yeah, I, Biden's just gonna lose. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, I think like Will Menneker or someone said this, but it was like for for a while now we have heard clips of Biden in speeches talking about how good he was at working with segregationists. But now we understand that the thing that he accomplished with them was ending busing. Right. <laughs> like that is his example of a thing that he like sat down and accomplished with segregationists. Right. Was like segregation. Segregation. Yeah. <laughs> was he was the yeah. wrong side of the compromise. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's not like, well, I worked together with segregationists and we got like, uh, you know, chip passed or something or like healthcare for children or something. Uh, It was like, no, we got busing. (laughs) We ended busing as a program. Feels like it's worth mentioning that Bernie Sanders is the only 
candidate who has released a comprehensive plan for desegregating public schools, mm. which is an ongoing problem. Yeah. And this yeah. was, I mean, this got a lot less play, but I thought Kamala Harris was uh, really good too when she said to Biden, uh, when, uh, you know, give credit where it's due, Julian Castro uh, made, you know, decriminalizing in certain ways immigration uh, a talking point on the, on the debate stage. And uh, people gave their different opinions about it. And Biden had that horrible moment when uh, the moderator kept saying to him, you know, a person whose only crime is crossing the border illegally, should they be deported? And Biden refused to answer, I think, twice. And yeah. finally said, you know, when asked, you know, should that person be deported? He said that person should not be the main target of deportation. The uh, Obama-Biden administration deported more than three million Americans. My question to you is if an individual is living in the United States of America without documents and that is his only offense, should that person be deported? No. Depending if they committed a major crime, they should be deported. And the president was left in his, President Obama, I think did a heck of a job. To compare him to what, what this guy's doing is absolutely, I find, close to immoral. But the fact is that, look, we should not be locking people up. We should be making sure we change the circumstance, as we did, why they would leave in the first place. And those who come seeking asylum, we should immediately have the capacity to absorb them, keep them safe until they can be heard. A 15-second, if you could, if you wish to answer. Should someone who is here without documents, and that is his only offense, should that person be deported? That person should not be the focus of deportation. Yeah. And Kamala Harris turned to him and said, I don't know if it was before or after that, but said, this was one of the things that I disagreed with, the, one of the few things I disagreed with the Obama administration on and your administration was, uh, I didn't think you should criminalize people just for having crossed the border illegally. And, you know, it's not like Kamala Harris, you know, then she talked about, like, sending letters to sheriffs in Podunk, California, saying, like, you don't have to cooperate with immigration enforcement. But, of course, she didn't stop the concentration camps in California. Like, she didn't take yeah. any, you know, nearly enough kind of um, moral responsibility in, in her capacity in that way. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I thought that was totally embarrassing for Biden uh, and, like, really good on Kamala Harris, too, to bring that up. Yeah. Um, also... That makes me want to mention Biden did this a few times when they asked those stupid questions where it's like, raise your hand if. Yeah. He did it a few times where he like kind of half raised his hand and made it look like he was asking, he needed to ask for a clarification. Yeah. And then not really follow up on that and kind of get out of raising his hand or not. And there were a couple of times the moderators were confused if he had raised his hand or yeah. not and they had to clarify with him. And I think he slipped through a couple that they didn't have time to ask. Immediately about. after the debate, uh, I think it was like Olivia Nuzzi or someone, uh, one of those like Beltway gossip columnists, yeah. had this article about uh, all these Biden aides who were like, he just wouldn't do training. He just wouldn't do yeah. debate prep with us. Yeah. Which is like, you know, them, you know, uh, yeah, like fleeing a sinking ship. Of course. And trying to like say why it's not their fault that he ate shit so hard. Right, no. Um, all, the, all these careerists who yeah. are realizing that all the donors were right not to give him money. And that's what the debate felt like too, with Kamala Harris going after Biden, with the like strong left slant of all these people. It was kind of them smelling weakness. I yeah. think they could tell that. Biden was not going to be the front runner, and it's probably going to be Bernie or Warren. Uh, and they wanted to position themselves to be in their cabinet, and they also wanted to align with that faction of the party, which you know, which they're only doing out of calculation. They're only doing because they think that they'll ultimately win. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you see the New York Times 
op-ed coverage of the debate where they had David Brooks's article, Dems, please don't drive me away, the dynamic pulling the party leftward. Then they followed up that blockbuster with Brett Stevens' column, A Wretched Start for Democrats. The party seems interested in helping everyone except the voters it needs. And then because they really didn't cover the... conservatives saying, you know, the never Trump conservatives who were like, oh, please let us be able to vote for you. It would be such a shame if we had to vote for Trump Uh, (laughs) because they hadn't, you know, hit that note enough. They brought on a guest columnist, Ramesh Panaru, who is a senior editor at National Review to write, there is such a thing as too far left. Mm. But where do you draw the line? The Democratic candidates are contorting themselves, trying to find the sweet spot. I mean, this is what the New York Times... I could say is now, but it's what it has always been, which is like a right-wing rag. Uh, Just, you know, anytime anybody tries to be progressive, their response is, oh, are you sure you're going to alienate, you know, the Beltway? You're going to alienate these moderate conservatives. Um, And then to also say, you know, any kind of direct action is bad. And any kind of, you know, uh, like Bernie Sanders saying that he wants to take on the, you know, health insurance companies... Uh, could be a little problematic. I think we need to study the issue more, and I think we need to, like, yeah, just study the issue more, don't actually do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to talk Pelosi? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so, yeah, we were trying to figure out the best starter article for this Pelosi funding ICE thing, and weirdly, reading The Hill, and you can tell... Yeah, The New York Times as well. The New York Times all had this kind of centrist story uh, where the focus is on Nancy Pelosi's, uh, like, um, beef with Chuck Schumer over this issue. And it's really hard to figure out what they're even talking about. Like, in The Hill article, they don't even say what was in this border law, what this bill was at all. Um, So there's a little bit more... And I think that... Uh, kind of writing makes more sense if you have a little more of the information, which I think there's there is in this Zach Carter article from the HuffPo. Um, this is uh, the title here. The title, just to compare, from the Hill is "Border Aid Fallout Tests Pelosi Schumer Relationship." Uh, that's from the Hill. That's from Alexander Bolton yeah. and Mike Illis. And uh, the New York Times headline for the story was House Passes Senate Border Bill in Striking Defeat for Pelosi. And in the Zach Carter HuffPo article, the title is, What the Hell is Nancy Pelosi Doing? Yeah, seriously, because that's what it is. Right. She wasn't defeated. Right. She surrendered. Yeah. Like, before it even started. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the subtitle is, House Democrats Have Lost Their Moral Compass. And actually talking about what you said about Pelosi earlier uh, is even more relevant here. So... Uh, uh, to begin reading this Zach Carter article for, uh, for a little. Uh, on Thursday morning, a reporter asked House Speaker Nancy Pelosi what her party planned to do about writer E. John Carroll's recent rape allegation against President Donald Trump. Have you heard about this? Do you read about this? Did you see this? I, I'm a little familiar. I'm not really caught up. Uh, it's pretty surprising to me how little coverage it's gotten. It, yes, seriously. Um, Pelosi's yeah. response was not a profile in courage, Carter writes. I haven't spent any time on that, she said, raising her arms in frustration. I don't know the people you're referencing. I don't know the person making the accusation. I haven't paid that much attention to it. Not only was the top Democrat in Congress oddly unfamiliar with one of the biggest political stories of the past month, she did not believe her caucus had a responsibility to do anything about it. I don't know what Congress's role would be in any of this, but in any of these things, this isn't about what Congress would do. This is about what the president's own party would do. You can't impeach a president for raping someone. (laughs) Think, like... What kind of president yeah. that's that set? Uh, <laughs> uh, she says, you'd really have to ask them, meaning the Republicans. I'm busy worrying about children not being in their mother's arms, she added. Okay. 
That. Okay, so that's her priority, right? Uh, and and I can certainly understand that it's a it's an incredibly important, uh, urgent issue. The human rights violations that are being committed on our border. <laughs> yeah, uh, you would think. Um, and Carter goes on to say that last bit was a reference to the other major political story of the past month: the horrific conditions at overcrowded immigrant detention centers, where at least six child migrants have died in government custody since September. But a few hours after Pelosi declared her devotion to the children suffering at the border, she deferred to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on their fate. As horror stories detailing conditions at the border began piling up this week, McConnell passed a bipartisan bill, which Schumer supported, he voted for, 33 Democrats voted for it, uh, a bipartisan bill expanding funding for Trump's immigration authorities by $4.6 billion. Progressive Democrats in the House, including Representative Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, wanted to include some basic humanitarian safeguards on that money, uh, which still is not nearly enough of a hard line to take on that funding. But Pelosi, citing resistance from self-described moderate Democrats, decided instead to just pass the Senate bill, no strings attached. Uh, We didn't even bother to negotiate, Ocasio-Cortez told CNN, calling the bill completely irresponsible to the American people and to those kids on the border. Representative Ilhan Omar was even more critical. A vote for Mitch McConnell's border bill is a vote to keep kids in cages and terrorize immigrant communities. Um, You know, and you can talk about, like, the centering of the children in this issue being, like, weird, but... Uh, you know, Carter goes on, the Trump administration's immigration atrocities cannot, of course, be chalked up solely to financial constraints, its flagship immigration deterrence policy, separating children from their parents, which, of course, Obama also did, um, was not adopted out of budgetary desperation. But under Pelosi's guidance, the official Democratic Party response to the Trump administration abusing immigrant children is to give more money to the agencies the Trump administration relies on to abuse immigrant children. Um, yeah, and so that's more accurate to the story, is uh, Nancy Pelosi just uh, supported this Mitch McConnell bill to fund ICE much more, uh, and it's something that Chuck Schumer was on the same side of, so, like, these stories about, you know, Nancy Pelosi, ooh, she's so mad at Schumer because she's actually more left-wing than he is, uh, like, you can, it, there is such a distorted view of the world on all sides that right. you have to adopt to think that is the uh, takeaway from this incident. So basically, my understanding is there was a Senate funding bill to fund ICE, and there was, which, you know, the Senate is controlled by Republicans, so this was a Republican-supported bill that really funded ICE with very few strings attached. And the Democratic-controlled House... Uh, there was a progressive, the basically the progressive caucus or the progressive faction wanted to pass a competing spending bill that had, you know, it didn't like abolish ICE or anything, but it had real accountability and it would have ended uh, child separation, is my understanding at least. And Nancy Pelosi sold out that progressive faction in order to pass the Senate spending bill with majority Republican support. More Republicans voted for the for that spending bill than Democrats. Right. It was like 175 Republicans to like 120 Democrats. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, she basically just was a rubber stamp for Donald Trump and for Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Um, instead of putting up any kind of any kind of resistance on the issue of deporting children. Right. Uh, and separating, detaining children. Yeah. Uh, concentration camps. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's like, so what is she there for? What, 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 what? good is Republicans or Democrats controlling the House? Like, what difference does it make? Right, yeah. Um, Yeah, and just while we're on the immigration issue, I mean, there was a lot of interesting immigration stuff in the news. Like, interesting is a really sick way to describe any of this, but 
Um, you know, we were away for AOC's uh, visit to the border, uh, to the camps down there. Um, and I mean, there's a ton of fascinating uh, tidbits out of that. Like, did you read that article about, it was the ProPublica report, I think, on the Border Patrol Facebook group that has like 10,000 members in it, and Border Patrol only has 20,000 members. Um, this was the one where oh like, my God. they yeah. posted memes uh, about like Donald Trump raping Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and oh like God. said that you know people when they came for their photo ops should throw burritos at those bitches meaning AOC and the other uh, Latina woman who was coming to visit the camps and yeah uh, I mean uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez she says that uh, the border agents in front of them were being cruel and making jokes and just like had no sense of, um, you know, that they would ever face accountability for any of this mistreatment of these people, like, tried to basically tear her away from talking to uh, detainees uh, in Spanish in the cells. Um, and so now there's this, like, there's this right-wing uh, meme going around of, like, uh, that she yelled threateningly at the border agents. Right. Uh, so she, like, doesn't respect our cops uh, or troops or whatever yeah. Border Patrol is. Um but yeah, I mean, it's because like they were telling a congressperson not to uh, talk to these prisoners, and yeah, I mean, I, like this story just gets more and more fucked up the more you learn about it, uh, and it's really good that AOC is shining a spotlight on this and has taken mostly the right response. But even she is really wrong on a lot of the specifics about it. Like she uh, has kind of uh, centered getting kids to. Um, like the proper detention centers instead of these tent cities uh, like she's feeding into the myth of shelter versus detention center right? Um, by doing that and saying like yeah what they really need is like the, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services to be uh, you know <laughs> detaining these kids not for border patrol to be doing it uh, which is a lot of what this funding is for is like to, to fly people from one detention center that gets a lot of coverage relatively to another that doesn't um, so yeah, I mean, it's just another hellish development. Um, but we also missed the Wayfair walkout. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's get into that. Which, you know, uh, like I'm sure I've missed a lot of the details on it. I haven't been as up on it as I yeah. wish, but basically Wayfair, my understanding is, was making furniture for... Yeah. What is Wayfair? They're like, a, one of these neoliberal, uh, online, like you can rent furniture. God, is that really what I it is? I think like, they do furniture rental for like, you know, nuts. millennials. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're like the, the Warby Parker of, uh, yeah. Um, I think maybe they just sell like low cost furniture. Um, but I think their specific thing is like renting. Huh. Uh, so what happened with Wayfair? So this is from the, uh, nation article from June 28th, Wayfair workers walk out. Their action showed how workers can wield their collective power to fight injustice outside the workplace itself. This is a Natalie Shore joint. Uh, some 3,000 people gathered on Boston's Copley Square Wednesday afternoon in solidarity with hundreds of workers from the nearby Wayfair headquarters who walked off the job in protest of their employer's contract to furnish a detention center for, for migrant youth in Carrillo Springs, Texas. Speakers and attendees of the demonstration included members of the Democratic Socialists of America, the IWW, Boston Teachers Union, uh, Jewish Voices for Peace, and Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign, blah, blah, blah. Workers who organized the walkout described their dismay at their employer's business practices at the Bullhorn. This is the first time I felt like I needed to hit the streets to make sure I was proud of my company, to make sure we're all adhering to those Wayfair values. Uh, explained Madeline Howard, like, everyone deserves a home that they love. The link to the company's marketing tagline drew cheers. 
The walkout had been called a mere day before, conceived as a pressure tactic to force management to capitulate to demands that the company cease its relationship with federal contractor BCFS, establish a code of ethics, and make a good faith attempt at attempt to stop co collaborating with other businesses complicit in migrant detention. Organize organizers say these negotiations are ongoing. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there was this Wayfair walkout, mostly to just draw attention and to start pressure on Wayfair not to supply furniture to concentration camps. Right. And uh, some of the demands I've read about were more specific, like they wanted the company to give all of the money they had made off of these blood contracts to Riesis, uh, which is one of the main nonprofits working to, you know, uh, basically stop the war on immigrants. Um, and what the uh, what I read the Wayfair execs did was they were like, we hear them and we're actually we are going to give all this money. We're not going to uh, guarantee we'll stop furnishing these uh, concentration camps, but we will give all the money we made so far to the Red Cross. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that wonderful organization, the Red Cross. Yeah, so the Red yeah. Cross can keep you know raping children in Africa and uh, like causing right. uh, cholera outbreaks in Haiti and uh, yeah. saying that concentration camps are okay, which is what they have done for their entire history, right? Uh, like since World War Two. And um, yeah, no, I mean it's it's so sad and so uh, like just sickly funny the way um, these executives I I think probably thought they were doing a good thing and like you know. Uh, caving to these workers, you know, uh, uh, just unreasonable demands and giving to someone who does good, and they have no idea uh, that this is just going to be spent on like nothing, um, and it's just going to be sucked up right. by corruption and the nonprofit industrial complex, as opposed to Riesis, which actually does have a lot of good work going on. Yeah. Um, so uh, this Wayfair walkout happened, and it's you know an ongoing negotiation. I think still at this point. Uh, it's unclear what's going to happen, but I think it's a great example of a much harder line than even someone like AOC is walking, where they're saying, yeah, like, this is just a crime against humanity and no collaboration with it is acceptable. And there was this guy in Mother Jones. Do you know this guy, Kevin Drum? Uh, I've heard of him. Okay, I don't know anything about him, but I got the sense on Twitter he was dunked on pretty yeah. commonly. Um, but he, uh, just a couple days before the walkout on June 26th, wrote a blog post titled, I don't understand the Wayfair walkout, which is like, well then, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe you should like Google a little bit. Um, <laughs> like you should ask them. Yeah. yeah no, like I mean, if you're, them. if you're a columnist who's going to be writing about it, maybe, <laughs> you should, maybe you should understand it if you're going to write about it. So he's, and he starts it. It's a very short blog post. It's just yeah. a couple of sentences, but somebody help me out here. This is a genuine question, not snark. Wayfair, the online furniture giant, has apparently been selling beds to the government for use in immigrant detention centers. Its employees are unhappy about this, and they want Wayfair to stop sales to ICE or CBD or any other agency involved with keeping kids in cages. Wayfair's management has not agreed to this, so today its employees staged a walkout. But isn't our whole complaint that these kids are being treated badly? Shouldn't we want companies to sell the government toothpaste and soap and beds and so forth? What am I missing here? You're missing the whole complaint. The whole complaint is not that these kids are being treated badly. Uh, it's not that, you know, and this is, I think, a big liberal misunderstanding about what the crime against humanity here is. It, uh, you know, these things like they're not getting medical treatment, they're not getting legal services, they're not getting soap or toothpaste or, uh, you know, they're being kept in ice boxes or in dog cages. Those are inevitable consequences of the crime which is kidnapping which is concentration camps right and keeping these people locked in prisons 
Uh, but they can't understand that, like, a prison is a bad thing itself. It has right. to be, like, the cruel conditions in the prison. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, this doesn't make any sense. Of course yeah. you want to give ICE more money and, uh, you know, better beds in the I prison. know. If this is hard to understand, just change ICE with, you know, the Chinese, like, uh, Uyghur detention centers. Right. Like, really? Wayfair shouldn't be doing business with the Chinese government to, like give beds to, to the concentration camps there. Don't you want those yeah. Uyghurs to be uh, exactly. more comfortable in like, their imprisonment? R- maybe if you make it another country that we've all been trained is bad, uh, <laughs> it'll make sense to you, like, how this works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can only recommend that. Whatever you thought the biggest threat to American national security right, was Right, exactly. Debate, like, imagine it's Russians. Re- yeah, right. Imagine if Wayfair did a contract to, like, furnish Russian prisons. <laughs> right. Uh, real, like, oh, really? You don't want uh, the... <laughs> You don't want Pussy Riot to have beds in their jail cells? Huh. Uh, right. I don't understand the Tattoo Ink walkout. Yeah. <laughs> don't we want Russian prisoners to be happier? Yeah. Like, obviously, um, yes. Obviously, it, it, it is the right thing for these employees to say, no, we should not be doing business with ICE. Yeah. Um, and we just need to take a stand here, right? Because if you find yourself in the situation where you are working for a company that is doing business with ICE or with, you know, Russian prisons or uh, Chinese concentration camps, whatever it might be, you you are you have this responsibility on the level that you are on, which yeah. in this case is an employee at Wayfair. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing the right thing to say, no, we're taking a stand here where we are. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of... Uh, the activist work that you are involved in, Dan, with Heartland. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast at all. I think we've talked a little bit about it, but we haven't told people kind of the whole yeah. thing. Like, it's been looped into. And there might be people listening who would be interested in getting involved. Yeah. Um, and maybe you can post a link to it in the description. But yeah, yeah uh, Dan and, and some other people um, have been doing... Uh, this work in Chicago to, to get Heartland, which is doing detention, doing child detentions in Chicago or in the Chicagoland area. And it's a similar thing. Like it, this is a thing that's happening in our community. So there's an obligation to do it there. Like, yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. And, and, you know, Peter's gotten involved with this. Um, you know, Peter has uh, like anchored protests already and uh, has been showing up to meetings and stuff. Uh, the campaign really just launched officially. We've been doing this research for it since November of last year. Um, and it's, I mean, it's really hard to get this into people's heads, too, is like, um, uh, you know, from every side of this, from the liberals who think that, uh, and this is basically the Heartland line, is that we're not the problem. It's not even really the U.S. government that's the problem. It's specifically the Trump administration that makes this work bad in any way or it actually hinders the work that we're trying to do which is all helpful and mitigating uh and these are not ice agents that we're talking about you know they're not cbd or uh, <laughs> 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 cbp uh, yeah. will make you feel all loosey-goosey yeah um uh they're they're not um you know gestapo but yeah. they are contractors the cock and ball uh, border control <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I mean, these are contractors. They're collaborators, and they give information over to ICE every single day, and they hold these children hostage uh, when they don't have to be. The vast majority of these kids have 
uh, names and phone numbers and faces they recognize of sponsors in the U.S. who are willing to take them in uh, because children, per se, have no rights in this country. Um, and the U.K. made it illegal in 2014 to detain even an unaccompanied so-called immigrant child, which many of these kids are not technically – are not really – um, for more than 24 hours. So there's no reason to imprison a child for two to eight to yeah. more weeks like Heartland does. Uh, and Heartland, you know, otherwise is a nonprofit doing, like, uh, supposedly charity work in Chicago. And I think they do do a lot of good work. And they, like every nonprofit, nonprofit industrial complex operation, they hire a lot of people who, uh, you know, wouldn't have this jobs program otherwise. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it, it, it's just a concentration camp operation. It's just yeah. another one. And what, uh, you know, like we, I, and a couple of other organizers have sat down in person with the people, the executives who run these detention operations and consistently what they have all told us from Heartland, from Maryville Academy, which is another one, which has a, like even more, uh, horrific history in Chicago of its treatment of children, the, these executives have all told us we're not the problem. Focus on the national policy. Right. Which brings us back to how we started this conversation. And it's why direct action from like the Wayfair workers, stuff that DSA is doing uh, here in, in the city we're in, uh, the Heartland stuff. It is so necessary because people, Democrats in power, like Nancy Pelosi, have completely abdicated any responsibility on this front. And they have made it clear um, in 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 the in the statements that they have made, and also in the work that they've already done, that they are just going to be a rubber stamp for Trump and for ICE and for Mitch McConnell. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has made it clear she has already what we were just talking about. She has already been a rubber stamp for ICE and for Trump, and she will just continue to do that. Um, so, so in fact, no, you. It's not enough to just vote or to just write a letter to your congressperson. Uh, there actually needs to be direct action. That's right. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the only way this ever gets done, but it's also the way that this has been getting done. Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta has pushed out ICE in a yeah. really big way. That's amazing. In a really successful way. Yeah. And other smaller communities have done it, too. Springfield, Oregon. I mean, detention centers have gotten shut down already in places like Tornillo in Texas. Uh, and there are activists working for prison, you know, immigrant prison abolition all over the country. And it's only through these local victories that any progress has been made historically on this. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want people listening and I want, uh, you know, the right wing of the liberals interested in this to understand when they tell you this is a Trump specific problem. It's a lie. It's just not true. Uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi uh, can talk about like caving to Trump for the political necessity all she wants. But she was a rubber stamp for Obama's Gestapo. Too. Right. And, you know, Heartland was a profiteer off of crimes against humanity uh, under Obama and under Bush and under Clinton. And all these places have been. And I think a lot of people look at the activist energy that's come from the Trump era and from the, you know, explicit family separation policy and the so-called zero tolerance policy. And they think, well, these people, you know, they won't really hold Obama accountable. Like, where were they the past 20 years if they think it was always a problem? This is just opportunism or bandwagoning. But it's not. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I was calling those concentration camps when Obama was around, too. Right. Like, uh, a lot of people have been, you know. It just betrays how little people have been paying attention uh, for all that time. Yeah. Uh, you know, Yasmin Nair, who we had on this podcast, has been talking for years about how this, uh, you know, this focus on like the children, the innocent children being deported is such a smokescreen because like 
tons of human beings, women, children, men, uh, and other people, uh, adults, whatever, old people, are just crushed in this death machine right. all the time. And for us to be talking about, like, kids in cages, it's... It is particularly horrific, and I think that people have a right to be particularly horrified by that. Yeah, right, but it... it yes, exactly. It, there are a lot of people who are being affected by this, not yeah. only children. Yeah. Well, maybe we can leave it there. Yeah. Um, and... You can put uh, the info for the Heartland stuff if people want to get involved in that or if they want to get involved in stuff in their own communities. You yeah. can, you know, see what, you know, talk to your DSA chapter. Uh, there are definitely other organizations doing important work as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Then we'll see everybody next week and stick around for an overtime about yeah. uh, the rumble in the right wing. Right I now. know. I'm really excited for this overtime. Uh, we are going to have our next installation of... Uh, these weird esoteric conservative debates. Uh, this one is all about this article against David Frenchism that was uh, written by a New York Post columnist uh, and has triggered a huge debate among the religious right um, about if they want to go full on fascist or not. So don't miss that. And you can join the Galaxy Brain Club and become and listen to our overtime by going to our Patreon uh, the news never ends uh, and becoming a patron so please do that um, and you can get a really weird conversation about these fucking weirdos that run our country <laughs> for everybody else who's normal out there we'll see you next week yeah see ya bye bye